Hello and welcome back to Haunted Basement, the podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Bubba. And I'm Ashley. We're siblings. We run a production company called Haunted Basement. All right. And this is our podcast where we talk about the movies, music, and pop culture that inspires and influences our video work. Today we're going to tackle a topic that's kind of been top of mind for the past few episodes where we've been Hot kind topic. of like, yeah, we've been like flirting with the topic a little bit. And actually in our last episode with Billy Magnuson, it came up quite a bit. Check it out. Good episode. Very coincidentally, the day after we recorded with Billy Magnuson, this podcast episode on The Daily dropped in which the New York Times film critic A.O. Scott kind of announced that he was retiring from film criticism and going to book reviews instead. We realized that a lot of what we were talking about with Billy coincided with things that A.O. Scott was saying about the state of film criticism, the state of the film industry at large, and and why he doesn't want to do film criticism anymore. So we figured we would spend some time talking about it, chatting about it, digesting it, mulling it over. Lots to discuss here. I've listened to that episode with A.O. Scott a few times, and my hot take, my initial reaction is it sounds like a man who has reached his midlife crisis. What do y'all think about that? (laughs) So I listened to it a few times, but the first time I listened to it, I was like, he comes off as an elitist here. A man who's worked for the New York Times for 20 years, an elitist? I yeah. know, I know. I, obviously, and he's attacking Marvel movies yeah. and superhero yeah, movies. Yeah, and it was mostly when he talked about how he got his start with movies. You know, my mother brought us to Paris, and I used to just <laughs> go into the theaters and catch the food. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, that's a, a dramatized version of it. But yeah, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if this is the man that we want talking about this. Yeah, he's a, he is an easy target. But let's let's talk before we get into our hot takes. Let's give a, a brief overview for anybody that hasn't heard the news. So A.O. Scott, film critic for The New York Times. He's leaving film criticism, the world of film criticism. He talks about his background, as Ashley just mentioned, about falling in love with movies, in love with films. But then the reason why he doesn't want to continue reviewing and uh, offering criticism for films is that Hollywood is now producing a ton of these IP-driven films, franchises, and branded movies IP standing for intellectual property, right? So (laughs) we're talking about the Star Wars franchise that seems to produce a new series or movie every other month. Jurassic World, the Marvel Universe, the DC Mm -hmm. Universe. Anything that has pre-sold audiences based on you already know what this concept is before you see the movie, right? Space Jam. All the nostalgic remakes that uh, Disney has produced over the many years. Mm -hmm. A.O. Scott is saying that film criticism almost doesn't even have a place in the world today because the massive fan base 
with these IP-driven movies doesn't allow for it. If you're a fan of the Marvel Universe, you are just looking forward to the next film because you're already a fan. You're predisposed to just love it and accept it and want more. He says superhero movies seem to be designed to be critic-proof. Exactly. And we can talk about all of what that means. I just imagine him being bombarded by... Maybe not trolls, but like, you know, the Redditors that love Marvel. Yeah, Yeah, that are just like attacking him for a bad review of something. Well, he he talks about how Samuel L. Jackson started this whole trend back when the first Avengers came out and A.O. Scott had a negative review about it and Samuel L. Jackson sent all of the Marvel fans against him. He's like, (laughs) we got to get a film critic who who actually can do his job or something like that. And then I'm looking at Samuel L. Jackson. I'm like, when was the last time you ever acted in a non-Marvel slash Capital One commercial? What's in your wallet? <laughs> Shots fired. Oh, my God. what's in your wallet, baby? But does he have to be since he was in Pulp Fiction? He, I guess he's earned it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What's in your wallet? Uh, but okay, it's, this isn't about Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, it's not about. But him. it is because that's L. the caliber of. <laughs> person who was in these marvel movies so yeah it kind of is about him you cast 10 huge stars and you put them in superhero costumes and people are gonna buy a ticket for the opening weekend and that's marvel slash disney's plan for the last decade plus that's one kind of aspect mm-hmm. of uh a.o scott's uh displeasure Um, But the other aspect or the other thing that he kind of points to as, you know, attributing to the downfall of film criticism or film viewing, film, you know, movie experiencing. Yeah. All the above for this one. Is streaming, right? Like the Netflixes, the HBO Maxes, the Paramount Pluses, Peacock. (laughs) We are just, we live in a world now where uh, the majority of people do not go to theaters to see a movie we just stay in and we binge the office or we binge the next season of succession which i plan to do and that has changed our viewing habits like that's changed the way that we experience these movies these yeah. television shows and relate to them and uh the way that we value them yeah mm-hmm. back when we were younger you had a month or two to go see a movie in theaters probably even less and then it would mm-hmm. be gone for six to eight months, months while it waited to come out on home yeah. video and even before before us before our generation if you didn't catch that movie in theaters you probably might not see it ever again in your life like there's the risk <laughs> of that. so there's right. a bigger there's just a heightened value when you make something scarcer and there's no scarcity in the streaming generation this is why we saw Spider-Man 2 three times in theaters mm-hmm. back in the day at Showcase Cinema. This Florence. is why we held hands and wept during the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the oh King my God. in theaters. Oh, oh, you my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wept. <laughs> wept. Oh, oh. it was so good. Let's talk about reactions quick. Because my, my reaction, you guys already know my reaction. I really miss the days where you weren't inundated by content and the like you know the infinite scroll (laughs) right even this the the you know the infinite scroll has kind of seeped into netflix where like uh, the same habit of yeah of going through and and endless endless content being offered you're kind of paralyzed by all the options too much yeah and you you like ultimately default to what's easiest you go back to you know the office and you kind of just 
it it turns into comfort more than like a challenge. Not everything has to be a challenge, just but new. yeah, just like a novel experience. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, back in the day when we had a VCR and just a stack of VHS tapes, you make a relationship with all the movies that you have in your library, right? Because you're watching them on repeat. Ultimately, we picked. Mary Poppins and saying chim chimney chim chimney yeah that's what you do like even if you don't love the movies like you watch them enough to develop some kind of critical reaction to them even more so than a critical reaction you develop a relationship with them you were saying this on Billy's episode you were saying we had that X-Men DVD I don't know if that's a great movie but we watched it so many times <laughs> that it was just like that it was part of our identity and I don't right. know if that exists. Right. I don't know if that exists for this new generation at all, which no. makes me a little bit sad that movies seem like they're dying. I don't know if it if they're dying or if they're just evolving, and it's just one of the thousands of millions of things that you can consume now. Yeah, because if you were to ask like a young person what their favorite type of media is it's probably either someone on tiktok or some sort of video game yeah and those things are magical to them their technology is so impressive and so crazy it might be like when you were watching jurassic park but it's just a different form of media and things like tiktok and instagram and all that stuff has just certainly shortened attention span so it's a very interesting challenge for something like the movie industry. Like, how do you gain these viewers? Everything seems very niche now. And in my head, I'm thinking about fans of you on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, random random shows that I'm not watching, but I know have a, you know, a huge audience. So it can't People quite be niche. People get obsessed with things. I still have great conversations about TV shows that I'm watching with family mm-hmm. and friends. But a lot of the conversations are often a little bit more superficial about what do you, what do you think happened at the end? You know, like, right. narratively, how do you make sense of this puzzle that they've presented? The writers have kind of, you know... <laughs> spun th- this this web of mystery that they've spun and I feel like everything's about dissecting what actually happened as opposed to okay. kind of I don't know debating the value of a movie that came out and um, how it's affecting culture at large right. you know right I watch a lot of TV for sure but I get burnt out on the series that are super long where it just seems like you're watching to see how the writers are going to keep a narrative thread going for right, three, right. four, five seasons. It's like you're you're watching to to almost root on a marathon runner, not because the show has you know really hooked you. It, it's right. like this weird addictive thing. Movies, as I think we're talking about it, really hit an emotion. And for us, maybe you didn't know how it ended, and and you could think about it for a while. And now with you know all the superhero movies and everything, it's like, well. The CGI, the CGI just keeps getting better and better. Oh my God, did you see that CGI? And (laughs) the number of users something has. And like, even the fact that like Netflix users are not the Netflix audience. Yeah, it's it's more data driven. When you you know that you have a long term or a product that, you know, that you will be iterating on and, and giving season or producing season after season after season or Marvel movie after Marvel movie, like 
it's definitely data driven. You know, they're they're absolutely looking at some analytics. They are prioritizing stuff that will sell because they right. have generated enough data to know what sells. And right, it's moved from art to an industry and just making yes. more money. When you're thinking about the scale of a movie versus a, a single movie, say a two and a half hour movie, right, versus a 10 episode long season of television. Mm -hmm. Within those two and a half hours as a filmmaker, you need to be making creative decisions that are super, you know, much more efficient sometimes mm -hmm. to tell the story, to tell an entire story. But also you need to use these narrative devices that aren't dialogue driven, like sometimes a single look, you know, in a scene is all you need. And I think that stuff the the less explicit, more implicit stuff is what at least gets my brain going a little bit more and my heart pumping a little bit more when I'm watching movies because you need to engage with them. You know, it's it's not as passive as, as uh, of an experience. You know, everything isn't spelled out. Right. So theater and film, they're very related, right? I feel like film sort of spun off of the theater world. How come theater has been able to sustain itself for centuries now? And film, specifically Hollywood, is 100 years old, and it almost seems like it's doom and gloom. It's about to end. Do you think that Hollywood constantly is worried that it's going to disappear? Like, for example, back in the late 20s, when sound was introduced to film, all the people who worked in the silent era were like, well, film is done. This is this is a whole different thing. It's not Hollywood anymore. You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. And then masterpieces were made in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And then television came around in the early 50s. And Hollywood's like, oh, shit, we're done. It's a wrap. And then in the 60s, studios were bought by like big oil companies like Gulf and Western bought Paramount and everyone's like, oh shit, Hollywood's done. We don't know what to do. We'll just hire a bunch of like young filmmakers who are cheap. And that brought in Spielberg, Scorsese. And to go against what A.O. Scott is saying, I see it as I have never had as many movies that are as accessible as they are now. And I mm -hmm. think of this young generation that can watch anything from the newest Marvel movie to like a random Abbas Kiarostami movie. Like they can mm -hmm. discover Iranian cinema if they want to at the click right. of a button. Right. And the likelihood that that is going to generate filmmakers who want to continue the trend of making interesting, cool, entertaining movies is very high. Right. And I feel like it's always very difficult to make a movie no matter what decade you're in. So do you think that Hollywood just enjoys being very dramatic about themselves or like filmmakers enjoy being very dramatic about their art form whereas the theater world isn't as dramatic about it it cannot be translated to streaming on your phone like they i know right. that they did that with hamilton and disney plus mm. but like it's a different it, experience yeah, you it's different, such yeah, much, medium much specificity different. for sure like you can you can stream movies and tv but not theater and movies started out as like you go for 10 cents you go see a movie it was it was an art for the masses and now it's like yeah 20 dollars for tickets and then the additional 25 for your medium popcorn hey hey guys hello hi i have a, I have a question for you oh go ahead are you ready y yeah go ahead 
Do you like merch? Uh, if you mean haunted basement merch, then yeah. Whoa! Do we have merch for you, baby? What do we got? We got shirts. We got hats. We got totes. We also have stickers. That's right, that's right. Listen, we've got the haunted basement ghosties on most of the merch. The Ghosties was a Bubba Serrato original design way back in, I don't know, 2018, when Honda Basement was the seed of an idea. And it's a cool little design that you can wear on your body. Put our logo on your body. So as a special thank you for being a Haunted Basement podcast listener, we are offering all of our listeners free shipping using the code... Boo. B-O-O. Boo. B-O-O, baby. Type in B-O-O and you get free shipping. Free shipping. Go to our website, hauntedbasement.video slash shop to check out the merch. Free shipping, baby. Boo. You know what I like to say? I like to say, pick it out and put it on. Pick it out, put it on. And represent. If you're enjoying this show, if you enjoy Haunted Basement, buy some merch. God damn it. And that's it. We love merch. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Be well. Ciao. Ciao. So we're getting to where I ended up after listening to the A.O. Scott, the daily podcast. Who are you talking about when you say, quote unquote, Hollywood? For me, it's like the studio execs. And they're probably all old, wealthy, white, straight men. You know, and now that we have all these different streamers and different ways that you can consume media, it makes it so much more diverse. So it's almost like where we're getting to is where the theater was, where it is more approachable for the masses. And movies are becoming the theater because they're way more expensive. And to go now, it's like, oh my gosh, you have to like shell out a lot of money if you want to go see an actual movie in the theater so people aren't seeing that it's definitely a turning point for for movies and you know marvel everyone has a lot of different thoughts about marvel but ultimately i think it's a pretty beautiful thing where a we as a consumer you have a lot more options from a lot more people in the past you never would have had access to unless you traveled to different countries and b the people creating them are way more diverse and get a lot more chances to actually get what they want out into the world and to maybe have an audience. So it is kind of a beautiful thing. I think, yeah, it is. It's the, I mean, the democratization of movies and music and I'm sure other art forms, other media Mm -hmm. is, is something that is influencing culture right now, our lives right now. Um, I think I, I feel that way. What you're just saying, I, I can see more easily and engage with more easily in music. Like I just, uh, you know, record labels do not 100% dominate the music industry anymore. You can be, right. you know, a self-recorded, self-published musician and generate a following. And it's just, yeah, it's easier to be to make music and to publish it um, and to listen to it than ever before. And um, I think that's been great, but at the same time, so that's democratization. That's the, like the wonderful, you know, sunshine and rainbows view of it. But the downside is like, there's so much music that people can't make a living anymore without going on tour, you know, constantly like the, the streams don't actually pay 
for you to make your music. Can we do a little bit of an exercise? I have in front of me, oh geez, today is March 30th that we're recording this. I have a list of top two highest grossing films from last year, Okay. from five years ago, 2018, from yeah. 10 years ago, 2013, from okay. 20, Oh, geez. And from 30 years ago. Do you guys want to hear them and, and hear about how it has changed over time? Yeah, exercise. Yeah. So last year, March 30th, 2022, the highest grossing films at the box office on that day were The Lost City and The Batman. The highest grossing film on March 30th, 2018, in the box office, Ready Player One. Third Boom. on that list was Black Panther. And now we're going back... March 30th, 2013, highest grossing film was Oz the Great and Powerful. G.I. Joe Retaliation is on that list as well. Oh, Channing raking it in. So now we're going, now we're really going back in time. Yeah, take us back. March 30th, 2003, the highest grossing film at the box office on this day was Bringing Down the House, which I am almost sure is that Steve Martin. Queen Latifah movie. I'm just gonna no. double oh check. No, it is absolutely it that is. movie, it which is. I which I saw. My okay. God, you're a convict. I did time, baby, but I ain't do the crime. Shoot, Roscoe cracked that dough. I kicked it off the heezy and bounced. What did you just say? So wow. that this is at the very beginning of of A.O. Scott's sort of reign as the New York Times film critic. Second and third on that list. Chicago. Good. We both. We both. And Old School. Good. A studio comedy like Old School uh, or like Bridesmaids. It's just pretty unheard of. That that That's going to go right to streaming nowadays. And now 30 years ago, March 30th, 1993, top film at the box office was Groundhog Day. Studio comedy. Uh, so, actually, this is very interesting because... After I listened to the A.O. Scott podcast, I listened to Smartless uh, with Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes, and they happened to have Jon Favreau on that episode. Very interesting to listen to that podcast after listening to the whole, you know, A.O. Scott Marvel debacle. But it got me thinking because one thing that Jon Favreau said was, you know, when he was directing Elf, which he said is his favorite movie, which I was glad to hear. Good one. But when he was directing Elf, the studio, anytime it was just, they had notes 100% on like any line of dialogue, any joke they had notes on. But all the action, like the sleigh chase and any action scenes, they could care less about. It was just all about the dialogue. Then he went to Marvel and, you know, they're storyboarding the action scenes and all the Marvel people had notes on was the action scenes. They could care less about the dialogue. So yep. he had free reign on the dialogue. And so he said he like really infused a sense of humor into it. So that got me thinking about like, okay, these Marvel movies, I resisted them for a long time. Cause I'm like, Oh, I hate superheroes, but they are funny. They're funny. And yeah, they have like a lot of action, but I was like very surprised at how funny they were. And then I was like thinking about all the other like directors and people involved. And it's like the Russo brothers who got their start in community in these comedies. And then like uh, Lord and Miller are also mm-hmm. background in comedy. A lot of those movies that you just mentioned were comedies. And so now 
it's just like a new medium for comedy. Like maybe we shouldn't call them superhero movies because they are kind of comedies. That's right. Yeah. Interesting, huh, guys? Can you, off the top of your head, say a line from Elf that you remember? Yeah. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? <laughs> but the children love the books. <laughs> the children love the books. Name a line that made you laugh that you remember from any superhero movie. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Are we too old for superhero movies? Like, what is happening? We are the movie snobs now. Yeah, and people and and the movie snobs when we were younger were complaining like, "Oh, Jurassic Park is a thrill ride; it's not a movie." And now you watch Jurassic Park and like, "This is an action-packed, entertaining movie that's old school." A lot of that stuff that I watch on TikTok, I'm like, "I don't get it," but I, I wish you all the best. It's like yeah. the Beatles, you know. This is the Marvel Avengers or the Beatles of this generation. Wow, she said it. Yeah. Have I done she it? Said it? All right, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I don't know if you've done it, but you definitely have put something out into the universe now. Things are changing. It's good that people are recognizing the change and it's you know we're talking about it. That's all that's all we can do. Do you guys have hopes for the future of entertainment, specifically movies and television? I just hope that the studios treat their viewers as audiences versus just numbers a little bit more because it seems a little bit crazy right now like maybe netflix chill out a little bit maybe you don't need a new show to automatically start two seconds after my last show ended. maybe i want to think about it a little bit more or maybe i just have to pee like chill <laughs> out man chill stop out stop getting all on my grill Give people a little bit more time, like respect your audience a little bit more. They'll come back. We'll come back. Just give us some time and space to appreciate what you have given us. Yeah, I completely I agree think, with you, Ashley. I think my hope for the future is less about what Hollywood's going to do and just more about my, my personal habits and my hope is that I can be more selective with what I watch and when I watch, and uh, that will somehow make things more valuable and more of an engaging experience. You know, not not just the binge in eight season long series uh, to fill up time, but to be a little bit more intentional about you know watching certain things. It's a really good point. You said it earlier. Like the pandemic certainly changed people's behaviors and how they consume things. And so I think it's important as we continue to come out of it, like you just said, to exercise. It's like it's like anything. You have to practice it. You have to practice yeah. stepping away, being like, okay, tonight we're going to watch a movie. Tonight <laughs> we're going to book a babysitter and we're going to go to the movies. Like you don't just have to sit in your chair. You can, you can take us breath and plan things out a little bit more and things are going to be okay yeah basically yes it's it's being more mindful about my media diet that's all yeah. i want to do koopy too hi koop do you have anything to say about movies <gasps> oh koop is the dog ash's boxer she's Koopy. a cute one koopies my hope is that 
Netflix, whatever sort of requirements that they have for the lighting of their shows and movies that's like so bright it blinds your eyes. Or so dark you can only watch them at night. I hope that that gets thrown in the trash. And I hope visionaries, people who have unique perspectives and unique stories and unique ideas, I hope they continue to get enough money to be able to have a chance to find an audience. We watched the trailer for the new Wes Anderson movie that's coming out in the summer. I'm not saying that Wes Anderson is the best filmmaker. What I am saying is you watch five seconds of any of his movies and you know uh -huh. that is a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. I would like a few more of those filmmakers where you can identify, oh, it's sort of like a friend. Oh, I know who that is. I know that personality. Let's have more of that. Let's have more of that, baby. Okay, okay. I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunted Basement. Tell us what you think. Yeah, tell us what, you know what? Listen, here's the email, baby. It's hello at hauntedbasement.video. That's hello at hauntedbasement.video. Send us an email with your thoughts. You can type them up or you can send us a, uh, a little audio snippet that you can record in your voice memos app if you have an iPhone. Just let us know what you think. Let us know what you thought of A.O. Scott's announcement that he's stepping away from film criticism. Let us know about your media diet and uh, what you hope for in the future of Hollywood and the streaming services. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to we hear from you. We want to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Smooches. We'll talk to you later, people. Smooch you later, baby. Bye, peeps. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.